You're listening to the Embrace Simplified Podcast, where you will be inspired to unlock simpler, healthier ways to live your life. I'm a corporate ladder climber turned entrepreneur on a mission to help busy women feel their best. I'm bringing you real conversation with all my favorites, and we're talking wellness, relationships, money, business, career, and even parenting. I want you to laugh and cry, learn and grow right alongside me. I'm your host, Kirsty. Let's keep it real. Pour your coffee and turn it up. Together, we are going to simplify our life. Hey guys, today we're sitting down to talk with Shane Henderson. Shane is the other co-lead on the book that I'm working on right now called Whisper that comes out May 2022. And I'm really excited to be working on that project with Shane. We used to live in the same neighborhood in the city and we were part of a beautiful uh, community there and a mastermind with other female business owners. And I absolutely love what Shane specializes in. And that is supporting women pre and post natal through massage, self-care and movement. And I wish that I'd had somebody like Shane when I was going through my pregnancies and, and the birth of my kids. And I want more people to understand that these resources exist for them. Shane talks so many truths about the lies that we tell ourselves in motherhood online. And I think you'll really love following her on Instagram. And today we're talking about something really different. I'm opening up a little bit about the trauma that I carry for my first pregnancy and what that whole experience was like and just talking that through about like how trauma exists in our body and what we can do about it and we're going to talk about motherhood and all the things and this is such a really unique episode I can't wait to share with you so hope you guys are doing well and as always you can tag myself at Embrace Simplified and Shane at Shane Henderson Let us know where you're listening from and tag us online so more people can find the episode. It is my pleasure to introduce to everybody, Shane Henderson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is long overdue. And I'm so glad that this worked for you and that we could have this time because I'm really excited to talk about this stuff that we're going to talk about today. Me too. Let's do it. Okay, so Shane is in Collingwood, and she is an ex-Toronto girl like myself, and we both fled the city a year ago, basically, right? Yeah. Almost. A little bit longer for you? A little bit more for me. Okay, can you tell everybody who might not know you yet what you do and what, yeah, who you support and all the things? All right. Well, thank you for having me. This is awesome. I'm excited to be here. I'm Shane Henderson. I'm a massage therapist and a movement therapist, and I focus on pregnancy and then pretty heavy on the postpartum support. So I do things related to core and pelvic floor health. I help unpack birth stories, as well as kind of optimize how we, like our resilience around mothering. So those things that come up like mama rage, you don't know how to cope with. I try and give women body-based approaches to create more resilience for those, more space for what comes at us in motherhood. I love that. Okay, one thing you did not say is that you're an author. I'm also an author. Very <laughs> exciting. Yes. With Kirsty, where our journey has intersected. We've intersected several times. And that is one, which has been a pleasure. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. 
the first time that I really started to get to know Shane, I would sit on the floor of her basement with a stacks of magazines, like annually. And we would rip out pictures and talk about our vision boards and all the things that we didn't yet do from our vision board the year before and all the things that we wanted to add to it. And yeah, we were in a mastermind together and now we're co-leading Whisper, which comes out in May, 2022. And I don't think I've ever had a massage from you. So I feel like that's something I need to add to my 2023 or something. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk about this stuff that you specialize in today because I don't think that I have ever really given enough, never really processed my the birth of my daughter so it was my first birth was really traumatic but using that word traumatic never felt right for me mm-hmm. and i imagine i'm not alone in that and I, there was definitely ways that it impacted me immediately following but me, a lot of them were physical but it, the emotional part of it didn't come until like much later so the like the quick story is i had a very detailed birth plan and a doula, and I was giving birth in a hospital. And it ended up being like a multi-day experience where the doula informed me, like about 48 hours following uh, the birth of, of Stella, that she felt like I should file a complaint to the hospital because I wasn't aware, because I'd never given birth before, that what happened to me wasn't usual. And she felt really strongly that there needed to be like some action taken, just the behavior of the doctor and some of the nurses that she just didn't feel was appropriate. And it was traumatizing. I can say that now. It really was traumatizing. But I want to hear what you have to say because you work with women who've experienced this kind of thing often, right? And I'm sure there's women like me. They're like, yeah, that was just birth or a parent or somebody tells them, oh yeah, it's like, it's, it's supposed to be that awful or something. And then they don't acknowledge that it was traumatizing for themselves or their spouse. Wow. So thank you for sharing that because I don't know how often you talk about it or how comfortable you are. So that's, that's big sharing that in this space. So thank you. And you're right. I don't think you're alone. Yeah. Like it's what happens is we give birth and we forget that the mother is a person and you have the baby. That's your, that's your golden, that's your prize at the end of it. And how you got there sometimes doesn't matter to those who are there to support you, quote unquote. And it can be incredibly traumatic and for different reasons. It can be very based on your life that brings you to that point. What might be traumatic for you is not traumatic for me, right? Our life experiences. So for some people, not having control in their life or not being heard when they're birthing, that can be their trauma, just not being heard. Mm-hmm. For others, it might be previous sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And this becomes that wound opens again. So it's very individual. And there's the idea of big T versus little T, but the, the truth is your body, it doesn't know. If you are in a, if your body feels unsafe, the nervous system is there to protect you. There's fight or flight. There's freeze or fallen. And you go into whatever state that is. And I don't think we, there's enough understanding and support to really bring a woman through birth within certain settings to mm-hmm. have it be successful in mm-hmm. a mental, emotional, and physical experience. Right. Yeah. And then you have this baby. And in my case, she was a great baby. But then there was trauma following it, like where she wasn't getting weight fast enough, according to some people, or like 
I wasn't able to breastfeed the way that I imagined. So your your one trauma just kind of gets all of a sudden you're in a different, a totally new experience of being a new mom or being a mom. And so the uh, so there's not really a lot of time to deal with that trauma. There isn't. People come up for air at like one year or six months and then they're like, oh, like my pelvic floor needs support or I'm not feeling myself or my hormones have like really, really changed how I feel. Is that when you start to see women? I would say, yeah, it's typically six to six to 12 months later that women just realize something's not right or like, you know, they have incontinence or there's so many different things that come up. I think when I see women soon after birth, I'm like, yes, this is like, these are the times where we can start working through things. But to your point, like motherhood is very divisive. Breast or bottle, baby led wiener, you know, purees, like, do you carry, do you co-sleep? Like all of these things that further make you feel like if you felt like you were a failure in your birth, mm. when do you become capable of advocating for your choices when everything is so seemingly black or white and then nothing is black or white everything is gray right Right. so then you just continually how do you deal with this when you're constantly like i'm not doing this right now i'm not doing this right now so what do you tell women that have had a traumatic experience about like how does it impact our physical body and what does our body need to kind of move through that trauma so it can impact it in many different ways. It can be anxiety. It can be rage. It can be disconnection from the baby. It can be like lack of motivation to do things. And because like our body experiences the trauma in a way that we don't really recognize in like the regular traditional medical model, right? Like when you're under trauma, like if you don't feel safe when you're in the hospital, Guess what's not convenient when you feel don't feel safe? Having a baby. So, of course, it's going to make affect your labor because your pelvic floor lifts to like protect. So how are you supposed to deliver a baby when there's now tension in the very spot that it's supposed to come into the world? Right. That's really interesting because I know for me toured us through the hospital or something in advance. And I was like, okay, well, this is kind of like nice here. This doesn't really feel like a hospital. But then when I was like in my head and trying to like push a baby out into the world, all of a sudden I was like, I was a baby in the hospital. Like I spent a really long time with pneumonia in the hospital. And I'm like, don't even remember it. I was so young, but I was like talking about it. Like I was in the hospital for a really long time. I was in the hospital over Christmas. Like I didn't get to go home that year. I remember because, you know, they really, like they did a lot for the kids that were in the hospital during Christmas. I'm not, I remember those experiences. I'm like, where is this coming from? But as I hear you say that, I'm like, yeah, really, like at a core level, hospitals weren't really seen as safe to me. So no, our, and our bodies remember these stories. Yeah. Right. Somebody so that like trauma is stored in the body, like fragments of sensations, I think is how they described it. Is that like, how would you describe it? I I would describe it as more as this like instinct knowing, right? Like you've had this experience where you didn't feel safe, your body responded to it. And then when you come to it again, you don't know why, but all of a sudden you feel that same sensation. It's like hearing a song from like when you were a kid, it takes you back, right? So being in that situation, you can also be taken into the other direction of the trauma response. So you can be taken back to those great memories of like that high school, <laughs> song 
But you can also be taken the other way where you're like, I was unsafe and this is like my body shut down or I wanted to flee and I got really like anxious and like combative. Mm-hmm. So our body remembers in both directions. We just don't really allow it to have those memories or understand it as much as we should. Right. Okay. So if we know that there's all these things that our body does when it's under stress. So then how do you support people? Like when you talk about movement, I think this is the one of the que- first questions I remember asking you was like, well, what exactly does that mean? Like, tell me what that means. Like, are you going to go tell me to do lunges or like, is it about massage or what is it about? It means different things for different people, right? So if you're like low, so you're in that like kind of like fawn or freeze kind of state, you want to do something that upregulates you, that brings you into more of like your capacity to cope. So we all have this like capacity, right? Where we can handle everything that kind of comes our way without any sort of like issue, you know, a little blip, no big deal. But we're outside of that window, things become a bigger deal. So if you're on the low end, you want to do things like for someone, it might be go for a nice walk. For someone else, it might be a run. Other people, it may be like even just having like a little bit of physical activity. So pushing into a wall, maybe doing Mm -hmm. some squats. It could be putting on the favorite song. On the other end, we have people who are like fight or flight. So that's like the anxious combative want to flee. Those people going for a run might burn off that energy for them. Mm -hmm. Or it might be breathing to bring them back down into a calm state. It's really dependent on what you need. Mm -hmm. Because for one person, going for a jog may be what they need. And for another person, that jog is really just another way for them to punish themselves. Mm, Interesting. So there is no like, here is your, here is the five-step program. It's really like individual for what people need to get them to where they're in that comfortable little state. And the thing with trauma is it doesn't go away. It's always with you. But if you think of like, if you think of trauma as like a ball, when when it's really tight and, you know, a ball in like a small jar, when the jar is really small, that trauma is really sensitive. So anything that comes in, you know, it's very hard to get away from it. So we're not making the trauma disappear. We're creating bigger capacity around the trauma and more tools so that it doesn't become a big deal anymore. Okay, I see what you mean. So when things come up, you're not like in that small container anymore. You're in this big container and you're like, yes, I see that. That was my experience, but it doesn't define who I am now. That makes a lot of sense. So do you do you ever see women before they give birth? I do. Prep or, like, is there proactive things that women could be doing? Yes. So especially I have a little passion for C-section, cesarean birth. And that's where I'm really focusing a lot because once you've had one cesarean, people want to have a second potentially vaginal birth how do you break up with that feeling of failure and the trauma associated with that so breaking and this isn't psychology like i'm not like this isn't talk therapy i hear the story and then we bring in body-based approaches to help create capacity around things that might be the trigger in the story because it's not necessarily about there's a trauma and then there's the truth kind of. So like there's a trauma of, yes, you went into a cesarean birth, but the truth is all those stories of failure that you might tell yourself, right? Like I didn't push long enough. I should have done this. Having a birth plan was too, was too like firm and concrete. But the truth is 
when you're in a hospital setting, how much of that is your control? How much more would they have let you push? How much would they have said, oh, her birth plan says this. So let's, you know, there's like a level of letting go of the things you can't control and also identifying the pattern of where did they come up in your life before? Because it's not necessarily about the birth, but it's the things during the birth. So how do you create capacity around not being heard or listened to? What does that feel like in your body when that comes up? How do we create more capacity around that so that when you're not heard, instead of going into reaction, you can take a moment and respond and shift that and change outcomes. I hear you talking. I'm like, for birth and also for being a mother, because that's pretty much exactly what it's like parenting a seven and eight year old. (laughs) Like They're not listening to me. And then I'm triggered. No one hears me. And then I'm reacting. Yeah. But it's also taking breath in my bedroom, and I'm like, Kirsty, we're not ignoring you like other adult people that you've had relationships with. (laughs) They're just your children. They're okay. They're just not responding in the way you want them to. Yeah, but it's it's amazing that you're aware of that, and like, there's power in like even for myself. I mean, I'm no, it's I do this, but I still have learning to do. Like I recognize and sometimes have these conversations with my husband where I'm like, you know why I'm feeling this in my body right now is because like, I'm not having a choice in this discussion or like, but I feel it in my body. And so the, the analogy that I feel that works for me is like a kettle boiling. So you put a kettle on the stove or whatever, plug it in and you get that like slow roll. And so I can feel that slow roll. And sometimes I'm like, oh, you're slow rolling. And sometimes I'm like, whatever. This is like, you know, stay forward. <laughs> and then that roll gets more and more vigorous and comes up, comes up. And I can actually feel it coming like down from the pelvis up towards like my throat, just like the water would boil, right? And so at some point I have a choice. I can either like sing like the kettle and like <laughs> lose my crap. <laughs> or I can be like, what can I use right now? to turn the temperature down, to slow the roll of the bubbles, to come back into my body and be like grounded in what's happening right now. And so finding techniques like that that work for other people is what I try and do. And then there's different like, you know, if someone has anxiety, well, let's, we might not focus on breathing because anxiety is a breathing thing, right? We might focus on other ways to help you feel contained in your body and grounded. I think that I did not know that resources and services like what you offer exist before I had my first. And I can think if like somebody in my life was going through this or they were really anxious about giving birth or something, like there'd just be so much value. Tell me like if you're, so you're in supporting people with cesarean birth, what, how do they make that experience more pleasant? Is there a way to like, especially if they've, they know they're going to have one or they've already had one. Tell us about that. So I, my second birth was a cesarean. I knew going in, I didn't want a C-section. And so I researched what were my options. And so I stumbled upon something called a gentle or natural cesarean. Only one doctor did it, Sunnybrook. Not my hospital because I was with midwives. So as a natural birth, I had to advocate through my midwives with an OB, sorry, a natural cesarean or gentle. It's incorporating techniques like delayed cord clamping, which is completely possible. They don't necessarily love 
the delayed cord cramping on any level, but it's important for the baby. I don't need to get into that. That's a whole other topic. Things like immediate skin to skin, making sure that the mother has use of an arm instead of being completely strapped down. If there's an issue, knowing that the partner will go skin to skin, being able to drop the drape. Some hospitals allow for that. So you can see having the surgical team, no shop talk so that you're not listening to them. Susan talk about clinical. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. If allowed, having like nice, gentle music, different things of being able to keep the placenta. Mm-hmm. Things that you would try and incorporate into a birth that are possible based on the situation. So obviously you can't birth on a birthing ball, but <laughs> those types of things that you may be able to bring, lighting, music, yeah, immediate breastfeeding, not removing the baby from the mother if possible as you go into the recovery room, all those types of things. So okay. trying to so advocate for yourself ahead of time if you can, but also having someone who may be able to advocate for you as well. I love that. In hindsight, I think it was really just the doctor that happened to be on staff at the time that I was delivering my baby. And when I arrived with my super detailed birthing plan and my doula, and unfortunately didn't have a midwife for my first pregnancy, I was like, make sure you keep the placenta. I'm making capsules. And like, I was just like, I really was like, in some ways, in a lot of ways, actually quite out of my comfort zone. And then I think it gave me a little bit of a target on me by this specific doctor. And he didn't like a lot of my ideas and a lot of my birth plan. And yes, anyways, I, the second time around, refused to have any plan. I I begged them. The first time I was like insistent that I have a natural birth and and still end up getting pulled out with four sets. And the second time I like begged for drugs and no one would give them to me because he was arriving so quickly. And I'm like, when I think about it, just like now I'm looking back and I'm like two years later and I refused to do anything like I did it the first time. So obviously there was some really awful memories. And I think it took me until maybe like her fifth or sixth birthday to read um, my doula's notes. I remember finding right. them. And being like, oh, I don't think I'm going to read these. And then finally getting up the nerve to read them. Anyways. I'm actually very powerful. Yeah. It was very insightful. You have a very different experience as the one giving birth versus the people that are watching what's happening. And there was a lot I remember. I just don't remember. There was a lot. I was just too tired or whatever. Whereas like they were on the other side looking at the situation being like, oh, this is not okay or that this is this is really not going the way that she wanted or something like that so and i mean to touch on that the mother often isn't seen as part of the team and she's mm-hmm. actually the most important person on the team mm-hmm. because you have you know what's going on in your body i mean we have been stripped of feeling like we have the power to know what's going on it's very like it's very disempowering as we head into birth there's like this whole fear mongering about like having a natural birth. And really, it is like innate and instinctual. So like to listen to the woman is key. And so often she's just disregarded. And, you know, I've ten- attended births where the the babies come in and they ask the mother to hold off because the nurses can't deliver and they have to wait for the OB to come in the room. Like that's not how it's supposed to happen, you know? 
Or like in your case, he's coming too fast. You know, were you there soon enough ahead that it would have been possible? Did you get asked the questions? Were, were things put in place or were you kind of like just not really given any sort of space to ask for things? And right. what about like informed consent about things? There's coercion yeah. versus yeah. there's a lot of fear. Like if we don't do this now, like if I don't cut you, you're going to tear in like, yeah. that doesn't always happen. There's, and tearing is better for healing than cutting. Like there's so much that's just like thrown at a woman while she's there. But no wonder it's difficult to progress because you're like, what the fuck is going on? You're scaring the shit out of me right now. And I just want to have a baby. And then yes. you have the baby. You've had all these experiences where you may not be comfortable with them, but you have your baby. So just forget about all that. That doesn't matter. And that's just bullshit. Yeah, it's true. It's the, the, the first time I had all the, all the coerce, the coercion, the like, you know, the threatening statements from the doctor. The second time I had the midwife who was basically high fiving me, like, you're finally getting your natural birth. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> And I think because it happened so quickly, it was really different experience than the first time where it was really, really slow and took multiple days. So yeah, wow. <laughs> it's funny because you don't really think about that. I don't think about it all often at all. Now my kids are seven and eight. Okay. Yeah. So what I love about, I always learn something when I'm talking about this with you. And I always, always think about like, oh, I wish that I had these resources and this knowledge before I had kids. But another thing that you are very good at doing in your community is just calling out BS stuff that we tell ourselves as moms, like outside of birth, outside of postpartum, like it may even be postpartum, but I want to hear some of those. Like one of the ones that you touched on today is rage. Mm -hmm. which I'm sure a lot of people have been like, what is wrong with me? Or their spouse or somebody in their family is like, why are you so angry? Or, whoa, like your hormones are crazy. Or like they've kind of in some way gaslit their emotions that happen afterwards. Like start by talking to us about mommy rage. Yeah, so I was a, I was a mommy rager and was called a bitch because of that rage. And that, you know, that's fine because... It, it really enlightened me to like, okay, well, that's weird. Something must be wrong. But we're like, we're so afraid of some of these emotions. Like we're only allowed to be happy. If you're sad, something's wrong. If you're angry, something's wrong. If you're happy, that's awesome. But we have all these emotions available to us for a reason. And the rage, like that's again, the fight or flight, right? So if you're experiencing mommy rage, that means you're like, you're past your capacity. There's too many balls. You can't juggle them all. So really like figuring out the glass balls and just juggling those ones and letting other ones go so that at least you can come to a point where you're able to just like give yourself that break and then offer yourself compassion. Like there's a reason you're responding that way. Understanding when it responds, like when you feel that, what's going on right before it? Mm -hmm. Are you being told like how to mother? Because that's really fun. <laughs> on any level or is it like the baby won't sleep and you're getting rangy well is that an indication that you need more sleep so maybe you have something set up where you get more sleep and someone else takes care because that is it's like that's the fight or flight so what can you do when that comes jumping jacks push against mm -hmm. the wall i know at one point in my rage in the last year since we moved, 
I went to the basement and I beat the pulp out of a pillow because rage is like, we have to like offshoot it, right? It's this energy that's come up. So to sit still with this brewing in you isn't helpful. So doing something that's like big movement. So like shadow boxing or like jumping jacks or unless you have pelvic floor issues, then maybe not, you know, pushing against the wall. So like another thing I would do is stand in a hallway and have both hands on the wall and just push with all my force. Because even though it's not this big explosive movement, you are generating force and power. And that's using up some of that adrenaline that's coursing through your body when you're in this like fight or flight stage. That makes so much sense. And like rage, I didn't find breathing was an effective tool for me, but it could be for someone else, right? So it's it's figuring out what tool helps you in those moments. And then also not being like afraid of emotion. Yes. Understand it, but it's worse to like push it down, right? Because if we push it down, that's where we get lots of different ailments from unspoken emotion or yeah. From different yeah. repressed emotion. Yeah. And so, okay. So telling ourselves that we're too emotional or telling ourselves that we're a bit oh, is, no. is right. And so what else do we do? Like, tell us, because you're interacting with moms all the time. Like, what are the other things that we say to ourselves that are just, I mean, it's, it's, it's endless. The, the terrible things we say to ourselves. Like I hear it all the time, how women are embarrassed that they have no abs. You have abs. You can't you hear that all the time. Yes. That's on my radar. Yeah. <laughs> well, because when people come for core work, right? The oh first thing God. they say is like, oh, I have no abs. But you do have, you, you can't stand, you can't sit, you can't walk without having some sort of core strength. But that's like one of those things. Really? I mean, like the things, there's so many things that we apologize for as women or no, sorry. Oh, sorry. I look like crap today. I didn't sleep last night. Like no man apologizes for that ever. Right? Like when I think I about really... one thing in my entire career, I would say once a week, a woman apologizes for not shaving her legs. No man has ever apologized for anything that like hair. that. <laughs> you know, like anything like that. But we are we are inundated with all of these things we're supposed to feel shame for. And it is a burden that we should stop carrying. Yes. You know, like I wash my hair every seven to 10 days and I don't care who knows that <laughs> because <laughs> it's not important to me to wash it daily. I think one of like, I remember going to a mommy meetup early on and someone was like, I knew that like I wanted to be friends with you because like you showed up and like you were wearing like pajama bonnets and your hair was just in this like crazy bun and all the other moms were put together with like makeup and their hair done. And she's like, I knew I wanted to be friends with you because you made it feel like I didn't have to try so hard. Some people <laughs> might take that as an insult. You're like, yes, my people. But yes, like you don't. You get to be whoever you want to be. And all this apologizing for, I mean, countless things is, is what really like, just own your stuff and be good with it. Yeah. That was probably way off topic of the question. No, I love it. Oh, I totally love it. I'm thinking about right now, I'm thinking about all the things that I would do differently. Should I have like, cause I absolutely was, I thought that there was like maybe some invisible like measuring stick of me as a mother. And so, 
if I was going to get ready and leave the house, I needed to be like very put together and my baby needed to be very put together. And there was so much pressure that I put on myself that I didn't need to put on. Yeah, I had like basically moments of like white knuckling it where I was like just barely holding on to all the all the things to keep up that. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, like, imagine being the one with like the third or fourth baby at the mommy group that just was like, whatever. Totally. Right. And like all of the, all of the striving for perfection and mothering, like having like all of the photos or the perfect Instagram feed, like all of that stuff. That's just like, what's important is like your own resilience, your happiness your connection to yourself and then it's your connection with the baby and whoever else is in your life but if if you can't take care of yourself it makes everything else very challenging yeah but we still put ourselves last on the list for so long I was last on the list for so long Shane right you have done an amazing job at putting yourself first and I am super proud of you for it Thank it's, you. It's Thank very you. uncomfortable, but it is is getting more comfortable, if that makes any sense. But I, like I was somebody who like there was definitely, again, like the word trauma, another really hard word for me to use is chronic. But there was like chronic stress and there was chronic pain. And I thought like I was almost embarrassed, I think, by the fact that I had like like it was my fault that there was chronic stress and it's my fault that there was chronic pain and there and like. Oh man, not having dealt with any of that, not even being able to say those words like trauma and chronic, it was exhausting trying to carry it all without talking about it. So and that's, I think talking about it's a big part of it. It's huge. And that's beautiful. Like you just summed it up there, like carrying it all, but not talking about it because we don't talk about these things. We, it takes a village and we, part of being in that village is actually opening up and being telling your story, mm-hmm. bring it back to the author. No, so, but <laughs> telling your story so that woman, one woman is like, oh my gosh, that's me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel so alone. I don't feel like it's just me or that I'm the worst or that I'm this because other people are experiencing the same thing or something similar. And there's so much power and that only happens when we share stories. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, before I let you go, I want to ask you, what does it mean to you to be involved in this book and to be a new author? Oh my gosh, it's so cool. It's been a very cathartic process, I think. I think it's like, it's, you know, another layer of like unraveling quote unquote trauma, right? These things, these patterns that you have that don't serve you, that you can change, you can shift. And I think it's like amazing to be surrounded by women who also in the book who've done similar things and seeing how they've evolved and how their life has shifted because we're all at different stages. Yeah, it's been really powerful and yeah, amazing. Great. Okay, you guys can visit Shane on Instagram or at her website and make sure all the links are in the show notes. Thank you again for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. You guys know nothing fires me up more and supporting a woman who is starting her own business. And I have come across a beautiful business making tie-dyed t-shirts and crewnecks and socks and accessories. And I am totally in love with it. Hannah from Hand Dyed Apparel is based in Victoria, BC. 
and she is making the most beautiful custom tie-dyed stuff. Guys, it's gorgeous. I got myself a luxe crew neck with a little bit longer cut. I got t-shirts for the kids. I got myself tons of t-shirts. Like, really, if you see me, I'm probably going to be wearing jeans and tie-dye and maybe some buffalo plaid definitely blend stones. I'm basically going to wear tie-dye every single day. I love her pieces, the muted tones, the earthiness of the color palette that she uses. It's gorgeous. She can also do joggers and a hoodie that are matching. And so I reached out to Hannah and she has a discount code for you guys. When you make a purchase at Hand Dyed Apparel Shop, you can use the code Kirsty10 to save 10%. That's K-I-R-S-T-I-1-0. Guys, I am so excited about this. My goal, my wish, okay, for this for this collaboration is that you buy tie-dyed matching pieces for you and your whole family. You then take a picture of them, put it on your Christmas card, and send me the Christmas card. And I want to have a wall of all of my favorite faces wearing tie-dye. That's my goal. (laughs) I really hope you guys have some fun with it and buy yourself something because, man, you deserve it. And remember, when you are making a purchase at Hand Dyed Apparel, there is a code for Embrace Simplified listeners to receive 10% off. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Embrace Simplified, the podcast. I hope you picked up some inspiration today and that you take action to feel your best. Can you guys do me a solid? If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. It helps more people find the podcast. If you know someone who needs to hear this episode, shoot them a text right now and share it. I love getting those notes from friends. And I also love seeing where you're listening from. So please keep tagging us online at Embrace Simplified. Don't forget to subscribe so you can catch new episodes as they drop. Until next time, I'm your host, Kirsty. Remember, you have it in you to simplify your life. <laughs>